good morning, everybody. It is great to be here with you this morning. I count it a privilege. As Greg mentioned, my name is Levi Anderson, and uh, I'm just up the road at Faith Bible Church on most Sundays, but I'm thankful to be here with you all at Maranatha Bible Church today. Um, I've been in the, this area for about two and a half years, so um, I'm relatively new. And in that time, you know, relatively short time, I've, I've really grown to have a, a deep love for Maranatha Bible Church and your guys' partnership in the gospel here in this community. So uh, I, I thank you for that. Uh, my wife and I often talk about how th- this fellowship in the gospel among churches in a community is not something we're really used to. And so um, it's, it's refreshing to say the least and, and encouraging. So we appreciate you all and we appreciate your church family. Um, as I alluded to, I'm, I'm not originally from Cedar Rapids. I'm not even actually a native Iowan. Uh, my wife is. She's from Council Bluffs, so I think that, that probably counts. Uh, but I personally am actually uh, from central Nebraska. So I'm a Nebraskan. What does that mean? Well, I love wide open cornfields, Nebraska football, and believe it or not, chili with cinnamon rolls. You heard that right. <laughs> chili with cinnamon rolls. Not chili and then later they bring the cinnamon rolls out for dessert. Chili served together with cinnamon rolls. If anyone here is from Nebraska, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In, in homes, cafeterias, restaurants all across that great state, chili and cinnamon rolls is an absolute staple when the weather starts getting a little cooler. Uh, it's, it's the total norm. You know, it's interesting. I mentioned this uh, favorite of mine at the Faith Bible Church office a few weeks ago, and it actually sparked quite the controversy. I didn't realize how controversial this, this combination was. And uh, we had a little bit of a debate that day as to whether this was an acceptable combination. <laughs> the pushback was very simple. <laughs> These don't go together. <laughs> the idea was there's things in this life that simply do not pair. They, they don't work together. And apparently, I'm learning, chili and cinnamon rolls just don't belong. Now, I tell you this morning, I remain steadfast in my conviction of this pairing, <laughs> even though I recognize I am in the minority. Now, I hope you all go and try that out for lunch today. But this morning, we're going to talk about another unlikely pairing, and that's joy and evangelism. You know, the last month or so, folks here, both at Maranatha Bible Church and Faith Bible Church, have been talking a lot about this thing called evangelism shift. Uh, I think you guys have heard about it. I I heard Josh from Canada shared with you on the Sunday morning when when we had our large gathering, our summit uh, first of many. So evangelism is a pretty significant emphasis both here and at faith over the next year or so. And I personally have been around church my entire life. And for most of that time, joy was not my first reaction to evangelism. I felt all kinds of other things, pressure, inadequate, discouraged, even cynical, but joy and evangelism, those didn't really go together in my own heart. 
Maybe you're here this morning and, and you can relate on, on some level. I, I don't know where you're at personally, but maybe it's just been a long time since you've been there when somebody trusted in Jesus. Uh, maybe you feel like you don't really even know how to share the gospel with someone who's not a Christian. Maybe outreach and witness just doesn't feel like your thing. And maybe you're like me and you know for a fact you do not have the gift of evangelism. So joy would not be a natural pairing. Well, I want to say I really do get that. I truly do. Even though evangelism is in my formal title, I get that. But even if all those things are true, we're going to see this morning that Jesus tells us there is real, true, sincere joy for you and for me, all of us here at Maranatha and at Faith Bible Church to have and to experience when other people turn to Jesus. That witness, evangelism, and joy can and maybe even should go together. In fact, our main point this morning, maybe rephrasing it just a little bit, you can see it in your bulletin, will be this, that there is great joy in joining Jesus on his mission. That there is great joy in joining Jesus on his mission. Specifically in our time this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there with me this morning. Luke chapter 15, maybe one of the most famous parables in all of Scripture. It's a story of a lost son, a lost coin, and a lost sheep. Now, as we study a parable, it's always helpful to remember what that is. A parable is simply just a story told to make a simple point. Not every detail in a parable is loaded with meaning. It's all driving towards the one point. And this passage is a really cool illustration of that because we have three stories all told to make one point. If you haven't turned there already, let's look at the first few verses here where we'll pick up the story and the text itself will describe the situation for us. Luke 15, verses 1 through 2. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him, that's Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Our stage is briefly and concisely set. You have some folks who, who are drawn to Jesus. They want to hear him. They want to learn from him. The implication is they are, are turning to him. But of course, it's not just anybody who's turning to Jesus that he's hanging out with. We see that it's the tax collectors and the sinners. And that's a, a grouping, a title that you see shows up throughout the Gospels multiple times. So who are these people? Well, tax collectors, they are IRS agents, but with a little bit of a twist culturally. You see, these guys were Jews who were working for the Roman government. And so on the surface, it felt like they were traitors. And to add a little more to it, they were known for taking a little extra on the side. So you have these thieves and traitors. We're also with sinners. We don't know exactly who those people are, but we do know that they were defined by the sin in their life. That is how people knew them. They were sinners. 
But Jesus is hanging out with these folks, outcasts across the spectrum, rich and poor. Now, we sit in here in church today and think that sounds okay, but it wasn't okay with everybody. If you look closely at verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes, that's the religious elite, the super spiritual, they didn't really like that Jesus was hanging out with these sinners, that, that he was so friendly with them. In fact, we see in the text that they, they complain, they, they grumble, they murmur. Can you believe this guy? I mean, what kind of teacher is he if he would have dinner with those kind of people? See, that's an attitude. It's confronted all throughout the Gospels. It's the heart of our passage this morning. The religious folks just couldn't stand who Jesus welcomed to his table. They're not excited at all that these people are coming to Jesus. They find no joy, no concern at all that those who needed Jesus were actually turning to him. So what we see here is the Pharisees in their holy huddle complaining, while Jesus, of course, welcomes these people with arms open wide. And it's this situation. This situation sets up the whole rest of the chapter. And Jesus is going to respond to that situation with three stories, making one single point. So let's look at story number one. It's about a lost sheep, verses three through seven. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance." So our first story this morning is a, a farmer who loses one sheep, and he so values this one lost sheep, so deeply wants it to be found, that he actually leaves the 99 others who are safe and secure to find the one. Now, if you grew up in an agricultural context as I did, you either owned animals yourself or knew a whole bunch of people who did, and you know it's a big deal to lose an animal, a cow, a pig, a sheep. It's part of your livelihood. So I'm guessing that if you were in that situation, you lost an animal, the search would be on. And here we see that it's so serious that he leaves all the others to find the one. Think about the last time you lost something. Isn't that a truly terrible feeling when something of yours can't be found? In fact, depending what we're talking about, something or someone, it's, it's potentially one of the more frustrating and, and heartbreaking experiences that we can face in this life. So I think we all know that pit in our stomach when something is lost and we're looking for it, but that feeling makes the joy that much greater once that which is lost is actually found. And we see that represented in the story the farmer, he calls all his friends with the good news. The sheep is back. Okay, this is a parable, a story, making a point. What is the point? Well, Jesus makes it really easy for us in this chapter. It's great. Look at verse 7. He says, God is seeking the lost. He's seeking those who are far from him. 
And when even just one of them is found, God rejoices. When someone or something is found that has been lost, that is a good thing in God's eyes. In fact, it's so good. Jesus says in verse 7, he's gonna, he, he says, I'll take one of those over 99 people who think they have it all together. It's a really interesting verse, isn't it? should sound familiar. It sounds a lot like those Pharisees who showed no joy, who were totally unmoved over the lost being found. And it's Jesus' first jab at that attitude. Well, he has another story. We're moving through, and he makes the same point, part two, verses eight through nine. Jesus says, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same point, different story. Here we have a lady who loses one of her 10 silver coins, probably about what she made in a day. But I, I'm, I think we can all agree, whether it's $100 or $1,000, losing cold, hard cash is a surefire way to send you into crisis mode. That's exactly what we see here. She turns on the lights. She flips over the table. She tears apart the couch. Ah, uh, and voila, there's the missing money. How does she respond? Well, again, she's over the moon. So much so, in fact, she calls all her girlfriends joyfully celebrating. And Jesus is going to bring it home for us again. He says, you think you're happy when you find your money? You think that's worth a get-together to celebrate? The angels are throwing a party when just one person turns to God. You know, C.S. Lewis said that joy is the, the serious business of heaven. I think that really lines up with what we see in this chapter, Luke 15. Because for the second time, we've seen the whole of heaven, really a picture of God himself, defined by joy when that which is lost is found. Now, let's remember to keep all these stories together. Uh, first, we had one out of 100, then we had one out of 10, and we see a pattern beginning to form here. Jesus gives a story of something lost, sought, found, and then there's always a party. And he applies it to the salvation of us as, as sinners. So with that in mind, that pattern formed, Jesus is going to give us a third story. And this is one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. I mean, this, this story has been loved by people in all places at all times. In fact, uh, Charles Dickens, I'm guessing you've heard of him before, he said that this next passage we're about to read is the greatest story ever written. It goes by lots of names prodigal son, tale of two sons. But our, familiar, our familiarity with it might actually be a challenge for us. Because if you're like me, you've heard it used and applied in all kinds of different ways. So as we read this next text, let's remember, parables make a point, and Jesus has been telling these three stories together to make a single specific point. So let's look at the, the first half of our third story, verses 11 through 24. And he said, a man had two sons. 
The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm here dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Obviously, this story is a lot longer than the others, but the theme is the same. Lost, found, joy. Except here we've upped the ante, haven't we? We're not talking about a sheep. We're not talking about cash. We're talking about a child. This man's son. Granted, he's not a very good son. (laughs) To ask for your inheritance early is essentially saying, Dad, You might as well be dead. I just want the money. Well, we're going to see this dad's very gracious. And in verse 13, he he gives him the money, and this kid just goes wild. That word there in verse 13, squandering with loose living, it's a very vivid word. It paints the picture of, of throwing your money into the wind. And that's the picture painted. He just goes wild. Of course, that it can't be sustained. And it catches up to him, and he he hits rock bottom. The only job he can find is working pigs, who, by the way, have more food than he does. Now, that's honest work, but if you're Jewish, you are immersing yourself in that which is unclean. So the image here is that he's as, as bad as it can get. But you know, it's while he's shoveling the pig slop with an empty stomach, that he snaps out of it. Uh, text says he comes to his senses and he runs back home. So it's a vivid illustration of, of a word we use. We call it repentance. This guy knows he's acted terrible. So he plans it all out. He, he's going to grovel and he's going to beg. And in verse 18 and 19, you see he actually practices his speech that he's going to say to his dad. Now, we might expect his dad to be... Uh, to be ready, to have a lecture ready to, to give to him. You know what, dude, this was really messed up. You know how much you've hurt your mother and, and go on and, and lay out all these stipulations. That's what we'd expect. But of course, that's not what happens, is it? 
Dad was standing, watching, waiting, looking for his lost son. I know this is a familiar text to many of us, but I I want us to try to envision this in maybe a fresh way. Just think of the scene. No doubt this was part of this, this father's daily routine, looking out over the horizon, hoping maybe today is the day my son will return. He sees somebody in the distance. Could that, could that be him? He'd been let down before, so he tries to keep his hope in check. But as the figure gets closer and more familiar, in that moment when the dad finally recognizes the face he's so long to see, this wealthy, dignified man of honor takes off running. He grabs his lost son with a loving embrace. You know, one of my favorite parts of this story is, is you see how this, this kid tries to get his speech out, but the dad doesn't even let him finish. If you compared where he practiced in verse 18 and 19 and what he actually says in 21, dad cuts him off, doesn't let him finish. He just says, son, <laughs> welcome home. I love you. And then he fully restores him. You see that? He brings out the clothes, gives him the ring, which, which he would stamp into the wax on, on letters, the, a sign of authority, fully restores him. And of course, we're in Luke 15, so he throws a party. And for the third time, Jesus illustrates that the lost have been found, and that is worth celebrating. Now, we've mentioned that Jesus set up a pattern here, and we might expect in the next verse him to explicitly do what he's done in in verse 7 and verse 10, uh, giving us an application, spelling it out for us. But this time it's different. This time we get a little more of the story with just a little extra punch. So let's finish our passage by looking at verses 25 through 32. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. See, instead of joy and celebration like we saw before, here we get a grumpy older brother who seems really similar to those religious leaders who started this whole thing. See, the older brother didn't really like that his lost sibling was being celebrated. Uh, essentially, what we see here is he's, he's throwing a tantrum. I've been here for years. I never went anywhere. I never did anything wrong. I don't get a party. Your son, no, not my brother, your son spent all your money on women and we're celebrating? 
If you haven't gathered, Jesus is saying this is the wrong way to look at this. But the imagery is striking, isn't it? We have this brother standing on the outside of the party with his arms folded, refusing to go in, where his lost brother now is. As we read it, it seems foolish, even even silly. But gracious dad gently gives him perspective, and us perspective, and the Pharisees' perspective. Some translations say it this way, that that it is right, or, or it is good to celebrate, because this guy was dead. He was lost, but now he's alive and found. And guess what? That is what matters. So in Luke 15, we have three consecutive stories, each one building up to this section where someone is complaining where they should be rejoicing. And it's so interesting because there's no real conclusion to this. Jesus doesn't say, go and do likewise. It's just left hanging. And by leaving it hanging, Jesus is looking those religious leaders right in the eye And he's saying, you know what, you claim that your life is devoted to following and knowing God, yet you miss his very heart. And in this chapter, Christ makes a a triple emphasized point that God God rejoices and his people ought to rejoice when others come to Jesus. Man, you don't think Christians party. We just saw three in one chapter. Over and over, lost, found, joy. So I think all three of these parables, as famous as they are, these stories should be viewed together, making one point, the joy in Jesus' mission. So what about us as, as Christians here in 2019 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa? Do talks about evangelism spark anything but joy in your heart? We've all been there. I've been there. I might be tempted to be there again. But Jesus reminds us that the lost being found, his mission is something to truly be excited about. Why? Because it's the very heart of God. You know, just one chapter earlier, the exact same situation, people complaining about who Jesus welcomed to his table. He says this, We sang it earlier. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Later in Luke, Jesus says, this is a core reason why I even came to earth. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came, why? To seek and to save the lost. I mean, that's why he came. And I think seeing this helps me to find joy in this mission. Of course, the tough side, the flip side of it, is is if I'm not on board, man, Jesus challenges me to take a hard look at where my heart's at. Is it lined up with God? Let's think about it this way. There's very few events that insert more joy into a family than the new life, whether it's your own child or a niece or a nephew or a grandkid, when you hold a newborn baby, newborn infant, it is hard to resist 
the, ex- the excitement, the, the joy of new life. I'll never forget the first time someone had me hold their, their infant baby. I was scared to death. I thought I was going to break it. And once it was in my hands, though, oh, it's just joy. And I've been to many hospitals to visit newborn babies, even just down the street from here. And even though there's all kinds of stuff going on in those families, with jobs, maybe grandma and grandpa are fighting, the cousins are unplugging things, the food is terrible, joy fills those rooms. But I'll tell you one thing I've never seen in that situation. While everyone's cooing and smiling and giggling over the new life, I've never seen somebody over in the corner mumbling, sure, Everyone loves a baby. Been here like five minutes. You know how much this kid's going to cost? You ever heard of diapers? You know what that involves? I don't get it. It's just a baby. Probably not likely to see that. I've never seen it. (laughs) But what's really interesting about that situation is those questions and concerns that were raised there are not necessarily untrue. They're not false. It is expensive. Diapers are terrible. They have only been there five minutes. But the fact of the matter is they're wrong because they missed the point. Like the older brother, it's almost silly because new life should move us to joy. And the mission of Jesus is all about new life. Now, I'm sure very few of us are going to be Debbie Downers when it comes to newborns. But if you're anything like me, you don't always share in the joy of reaching the lost in the way that I should. You know, I recently heard a pastor express this struggle uh, really well, saying that one of the hardest things in this world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the older brother. That one of the hardest things in this life is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the older brother. The fact of the matter is, every single one of us has been the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. Because without Jesus Christ, I'm just that, desperately lost. And when I forget that, I start down a path of the older brother. I start missing the joy of others being found. Paul talks about this really explicitly in Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 13, where he says, he commands, remember, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He commands us to remember Remember that once, that was once us. Remember, we too were hopelessly lost. So we praise God that through Christ, he sought us and found us and welcomed us back with arms open wide. The question is, what happens next? Because I'm no longer the prodigal son, but I know I don't want to be the older brother. Well, joining in the heavenly party, rejoicing when God rejoices, I think starts by remembering the reality of God's grace in my life. 
my experience of being found, the welcoming embrace of forgiveness that God extended to me. You know, others might have a different story than I did. They might have had a different label than I did. They might have seemed better or seemed worse, but none of that matters. The heart of God seeks those who don't know Christ and joyfully welcomes them to the table as well. Of course, it's, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to get things twisted. It's so easy, like the Pharisees, for me to look down on the, the sinners, to keep them at arm's length, to even get cynical about the whole process. It, it's amazing how easily I can become indifferent to those who don't know Jesus, how easily I can lose the joy of lost and found, and Shamefully, how easily I can complain when God rejoices. See, that's why churches like Faith and Maranatha do things like evangelism shift. Because we recognize there is great joy in joining Jesus on his mission. And I'll tell you what, I am absolutely convinced that we need each other's help to do that well. Because it is hard to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the older brother. Chili and cinnamon rolls. Sounds weird. Doesn't seem right. But if you give it a try, they actually go together pretty well. Maybe the same is true for joy and evangelism. Now, don't get me wrong. We're living in the real world here. You may have been praying for somebody for years, for decades, that they would turn to Jesus. And I, I know full well that can be heartbreaking. That is, that is tough. But take joy this morning in the fact that, this is, that God is seeking the lost. It's what he's doing. It's why he came to earth. It is his mission. Maybe you feel like you don't know what to say to unbelievers, We'll take joy in the fact that this is Jesus' work. It doesn't depend on the eloquence of my speech. This is his work. And if part of you wrestles with welcoming sinners to the family, boy, I take joy in the fact that you too were welcomed. And I think that all of us together can find joy in the simple fact that we're even able to join Jesus on this mission, that he lets us be a part of it. So brothers and sisters, God truly is seeking the lost right here in our community. Do you believe it? Will you join the party? He sought and saved me, and maybe I can be a part of finding others as well. What a joyous thought. Now, if you're here this morning and and you're not a Christian, uh, maybe I'll just finish was saying a few words to, to you. And when I say that, I, I want to be really clear. I don't mean that you would check a Christian on a survey, that you check that box, or that there's church in your background. What I'm talking about is, is coming to a point in your life where you've placed your trust in Christ alone. So if you've never done that this morning, maybe you see yourself in the runaway son, feeling lost, far from the Father, You know, all of our stories are different, but God has two categories. 
lost and found. Not churchy and, and non-churchy or, or guilty of this sin instead of that sin. Lost and found. And I'll tell you, the only difference is Jesus. The farmer left it all to find the one sheep. The lady turned her house upside down looking for her money. And that father, who was waiting and longing for his son to return, welcomed him with a loving embrace. And Jesus is saying this morning, that's how I feel about you. Even if you've used everything in your life to run away from me, and you've ended up in the pig slop, I came to find you. And just like in all three of these stories, whenever a sinner does turn to Jesus, boy, God is overjoyed, and he welcomes us to his table. This doesn't mean he just lets sin slide as if it's no big deal. No, it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, Jesus Christ himself paid the price for our sin, death. He lived a perfect life, being God in the flesh, only to give that life up on the cross for you and for me so that our sin might be paid for. And then rising from the dead, he now offers all people new life in him. You know, what's really interesting is if you look how that, when that son, that runaway son practiced his speech, uh, he tried to earn his relationship back with his dad. He said, hey, I'll work for you. I'll be your hired hand. Tried to earn it back. The father says, no, <laughs> no, son, I, I love you. You're forgiven. I'll take the hit. So if you're here this morning and you're not a true Christian, that's what Jesus offers you today. You can receive this gift by placing your faith in Jesus alone. I, or I know any of the leaders here at Maranatha, would love to talk to you more about it. If you would, pray with me. Father, we just say thank you. Your grace in our life is almost incomprehensible. We praise you that you sought us and found us and welcomed us to your family. Lord, it's, it is hard, it's sometimes discouraging to try to reach those who don't know you. It doesn't always go like we plan. People don't respond like we want to. It doesn't feel like we say the right things. But God, this morning we choose to take joy in your mission. We pray that you'd help us to just uh, be a part of it somehow. Uh, whatever that looks like, Lord, we ask that you would let us be a part of what, who you're reaching in this city. So Lord, we thank you for this church and this church family and the work you're doing here in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.